We have uh, been continuing in a series that we have called Life on Purpose, and we've been talking about why did God make us alive? What are we supposed to be living for? What are we supposed to be doing? A lot of people say, oh, I wish I know the will of God. I wish I knew God's purpose for my life. And God says, you know, I've actually made my will for your life very clear. Sure, there are certain aspects and choices that you're going to have in life along the way. But ultimately, he says, I've actually called all human beings to live for the same five purposes. And we've talked about those. We've said one of those purposes is worship. One of those purposes is fellowship. One of those purposes is ministry. By the way, did you guys like Freddy Tishbanda last week when he came and brought God's word? That was awesome. He was talking about ministry. God engineered your life to make a difference. By the way, didn't you think he was a little overdressed? I, I, no, I'm just kidding, but I, he, he came. He's a good friend of mine, and he came, and I said, dude, you showed me up, man. I mean, what, what's up with that? In fact, Spanish, I'll tell you, he set the bar so high that in our Spanish service today, Stephen Gallier is preaching in our Spanish ministry right now, and look, I have a picture of him. This morning, I saw him, and throw this picture up of Stephen, if you would. He's wearing a sport coat today, you know, because he's trying to hold to that standard. I'm like, what's up with this, you know, but... Anyway, uh, but yeah, that was a great message. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that or be a part of that last week, go back because he's talking about ministry and what it means to serve the Lord. And of course, there's the purpose of mission that God has called us to that we're gonna be talking about on Vision Weekend next weekend. Now guys, God has so much that he wants to do in your life. And uh, today we're going to be talking about discipleship. But before we get in there, I just want to mention to you, before we begin the, the message today, you can grab your notes and get ready. I just want to share some budget highlights with you and some information that you're going to need to know for next week. Because next week, I'm going to be laying out for you a vision of this next year and where we're going as a church. Now, we submitted this particular document to you last week in your bulletin. Today, if you take your smart device, if you didn't save this or take it home and begin to pray on it, I'd ask you to begin to pray on this budget that we'll be voting on next week. But uh, you can go ahead and put the QR code up on the screen. There is a QR code that if you just take your smartphone, it'll take you digitally to the budget. Or if you take your phone and you just scan the QR code that's on your events page, this is in your notes, you can get to that budget digitally. The bottom line is, we just want to make sure that you get this budget in your hands because you'll be voting on it next week. Now, guys, I want to say this to you. As for 2022, um, our giving did come in under the projected number that we voted on last year. In fact, we voted on that budget together. If you remember, about a year ago this time, of all the ministry that we were going to do, here's the amount of tithes and offering that we will need to, to bring in to sustain that. And I do want to say we did come in under budget, but I got to tell you, the giving has never been higher at North Point Church, so I think you should give yourselves a hand because it's pretty awesome. Um, it was pretty awesome. Now, I also just want to say, too, that because we try and be good stewards of everything that God has given, you'll be happy to know that we also came in the black. We did keep our expenses lower than our income because we do try and be good stewards. Even though we have a projection, we really try and just maintain good stewardship of everything that's given here. And so it's good to know that we finished in the black. You should give yourselves a hand for that, too. That's pretty great. Um, but we really do need this year to increase our giving to match an increased budget. Now, I just want to go over the vision with you just a little bit this year because I want you to be prayerful going into next week's vote. 
If you scan that QR code and you begin to look over the budget, you're going to see all the vision that we've had for our expanded campuses. As you know, we're a multi-site campus now in Kerman, on Bullard. We have a Spanish ministry going. And you'll see that a lot of our increased expenses come with things like youth pastors for Kerman and children's ministers at Bullard and, and hiring the right staff to be able to do church at a level that we can really reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and reach out to families and those that we know need him. Now, our overall increase that we're gonna be asking for is 11%. We'll be asking for 11%, but here's what's really cool. In the fall of last year, if you remember, we did a Giving Gladly campaign where we begin to urge those who are not giving to begin to give, and we saw hundreds of first-time givers begin to say, you know what, I'm gonna begin to give. Because there are many people who attend North Point Church, but they don't give anything at all, and they said, you know, I'm gonna start practicing the habit of giving regularly and faithfully and consistently. And as of the last quarter of the year, do you realize if we just maintained that giving, how we improved, our budget increase is not 11%, it really is only 5% if we just went ahead and gave at the level we gave in the last quarter of last year. So I just say to you, that is super, super good news. God blessed us too. Our assets increased as a church because of gifts that God gave us from about 14 million to 20 million in properties. I mean, God, is, God has really blessed us and he's blessed the ministries as, we, as we've expanded on our campuses. But you need to understand, the ministry that we've expanded in doing, we have primarily used extra faith gifts or grants that have been given to us. This year, we need to absorb those extra ministries into the regular operating budget. To do that, we have to increase the operating budget. Otherwise, the ministries that we've expanded to, it becomes very difficult for those things to become sustainable. So we're saying, God, would you just provide through your people? Because I'm gonna tell you guys, money doesn't come from the clouds, it comes from the crowds. It comes from the crowds of people who have said, God, I'm gonna be faithful to you. Now, listen, could God make it magically appear just by snapping his finger? God could do anything he wants to do. But God outlines in scripture that he calls the church his hands and feet, his body. And he wants the church to act in obedience to his word out of faith and trust. And then God says, now then I'm gonna bless the ministry as people activate their lives. Now I just wanna say, of all the regular givers that we have at North Point, this budget increase that I'm asking you to pray on, if, if all the regular givers just begin to give $2.80 more every week, now listen, I'm talking to you if you're a faithful giver. If you just increase your giving $2.80 per person, we will meet our budget goals. $2.80 per person per week. So you do the math on that. We would increase uh, to everything that we need. Let alone if folks who are not giving would begin the practice of trusting God with their finances and giving. So I'm just gonna ask you, if you would just... Pray over this, ask God about it. You can see the vision laid out in all of our expanded campuses, in all the ministry that we're doing, uh, what the needs are. You can see the vision. We'll talk more about that next week. But can I ask you to commit to pray over that at all of our campuses? All right, that'd be great if we could do that. So Father, we just submit all this to you and we just ask that you would be glorified in our giving and that you would just be lifted up. And Lord, I just pray that, Lord, your word says, let us not give reluctantly, but let us give cheerfully, um, hilariously, as each has decided to do in their own heart. God, we commit that to you, and we give you the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said?
Amen, amen. Okay, hey, we're talking about discipleship today. The other day I read an article, it was about a little girl in India. Get this, she weighed only 19 pounds even though she was five years old. 19 pounds. The problem was malnutrition. Now here was the shocking part. You do a little research and you find out this is a very common problem in India. About 46% of Indian children are undernourished, they're underweight. 46%. That's nearly half the children in India. In fact, the studies say that 38% of children in India have been permanently stunted in their growth just because of malnutrition. Now, listen. Growing up is a part of life. Wouldn't you agree? If you don't grow up, would you agree that that's a tragedy? Why? Because all living things grow. Is that right? You're meant to grow. The only reason this isn't growing anymore is because it's all dead up here. If it was alive, it'd be growing. You with me? Turn to somebody and say, you're supposed to be growing. (laughs) You're supposed to be growing physically. You're supposed to be growing emotionally. You're supposed to be growing spiritually. I read a book, it was a really sad thing. It's an older book written years ago The author was a man by the name of Dan Kiley, but the book was called The Peter Pan Syndrome, and it was about men who in current culture refuse to grow up emotionally. I'd like a show of hands. Who's married to one of those guys? No, I'm just kidding. Don't tell me that. (laughs) I'm just going to tell you, that's no good. But it was a bestseller. Let me just say it to you again. If you don't grow up, that's a tragedy. Because all things that are alive should grow. Now, this weekend, as we talk about discipleship, another term for that is growth. Discipleship is growth in your relationship to Jesus. The model of your growth is Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Jesus, who is the Christ, is not only your Savior, he's not only your Lord, Jesus Christ is your model. He's your model for growth. Notice what the scripture says in Romans chapter eight. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he's talking about you and me or all those who would believe on him. He says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. God says, My desire before I even made you was that you would grow up and become like my son. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. He's not saying you're gonna grow up and become a God. There are some people who believe that. That is not what he's saying. You're never gonna be God. You are never gonna be even a tiny, teeny, itty, bitty, weeny part of God. None of you. If you were God, you could solve your own problems, but you've learned by now that you can't, right? You're not God. But God does say, I want you to grow up and become godly. I want you to act with the character of the Lord. In other words, God's saying, look, human, I want you to learn to love the way that I love. I want you to learn to think the way that I think. I want you to begin to feel the way that I feel and act the way that I act. So what does it mean to become like Jesus? Does God mean that you're supposed to lose your personality? No. Does it mean that you're supposed to become some religious nut? 
No. Does it mean that you're supposed to go live in a monastery and talk about blessings all the time? No. What does it mean to become like Jesus? Write this down. Here's what it means. It means that you become fully alive as you were meant to be. Write that down. To become like Jesus means to become fully alive. You say, why do you say that, Pastor? It's because Jesus Christ was the most fully alive person who ever lived. And Jesus looked at his followers and he said, I'm the gate. If you want to know how to do life, what's a gate? Gate is an entry point. It's how you go into something. It's the way in. Jesus says, look, I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me gets saved. They will come in and go out and they will find what? Pasture. It's a beautiful metaphor metaphor that we are sheep and we will find what we need from him. And then he talks about the devil. He says, you know, the thief, he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, let's read this together, ready? I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says, I wanna teach you what it really means to live abundantly, to live life to the full. Notice Jesus didn't say, I came to give you religion. He says, I came to give you life. What does that mean? Men and women, listen to me. When you begin to love like Jesus loves, you're gonna have better relationships. Do you know that that's true? Listen to me, skeptics. When you begin to live like Jesus lives, you're gonna have fewer problems in your life. That's true. When you begin to think the way that Jesus thinks, you're gonna have less stress and worry in your life. Do you know that? When you begin to do what Jesus did, you're gonna have more peace in your heart. You're gonna feel less guilty. When you begin to love and do all the things the way that he made you to do it, life is gonna be lived at a higher level. Jesus said, I have come that they may have a different quality of life. He called it eternal life. And he says it starts right now. He says that is for you. It's what God intended the human being to be fully alive to the glory of God. Listen, God doesn't want you to waste your life. He wants your life to count. He says, I've given you one life to live. I've given you a certain amount of time on this earth. Make it count. Now, how does that happen? Does it happen all at once? Do you pray and say, oh, Lord Jesus, change my life, and does God just zap you? No. Can you go to a meeting and just suddenly get changed? No. Do you take a pill? No. It's a process. God says throughout your entire life, I will be building you. And I'm going to say this to you, friends. How many of you know it is not an easy process? It is not easy to learn how to think about yourself less. It is not easy to learn how to be unselfish and think about others more. It's not easy to learn how to give generously. It's not easy to learn how to see things from another person's point of view and not your point of view. It's not easy to walk in humility. In fact, I'm gonna say this. It's gonna take your entire life to become like Jesus Christ. But that's what we call discipleship. Everybody say the word. Discipleship. Discipleship means I have become a learner of Jesus. I'm a learner. He is the gate. He's the way in. And I live like he lives. Now, What's a promise that he makes to you and I if we begin to submit our lives to him? This is awesome. Are you ready? If you're ready, say, I am. am. 
All right, here we go. He says, if you will choose to live like me, he makes a promise. And here it is. It's in Romans 8, 28. Look what it says. Let's read it together. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He says, if you'll live for me, if you'll choose to live this way, I will cause everything that happens in your life to work out for the good. Now, does that mean the painful things? Yes. Does that mean even the bad things? Yes. Does that mean even the stupid things that you've done? How many of you are guilty of doing stupid things? Come on. There's a bunch of stupid people in here. I'm right, I'm right with you. Does that mean even the evil things, God will cause the evil things to work out for good? Yes. Wait a minute, pastor. You're saying that God will even cause the way that people have hurt me and wounded me? He'll even cause that to work out for good? Yes. Listen to me, friend. Here's the promise God makes to you if you surrender your life. He says it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter where it comes from. God says I will recycle it. I will redeem it, and I will work it all out for good. Now, the question people have is, what's the good? Well, let's look at the next verse. You ready? That was 828. Let's go to 29 again. We already read it. Here's verse 29. For those he foreknew, let's read it together, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. He says, what's the ultimate good? I'll use everything in your life to make you like me. I'll use even the evil to make you like me. I'll use even the sin in your life. Doesn't mean I'm the author of sin, God says, but I'll use it to make you like me. Now listen, friends, that's amazing. That's a promise. But did you notice in that verse, that's not a promise for everybody. Some of you are in there, you're like, all right, cool. But I'm gonna tell you, it's not a promise for everybody. Look at what it says again. It says that's a promise for those who have been what? Called according to his purpose and those who love him. The question is, do you love him? And are you surrendering to his purposes? Remember, we're talking about the five purposes of God, what he's called you to live for. Are you surrendered to his purpose and do you love him? That's who it works for. And God says, I will work this out. If you say to God, God, I want to do what you made me to do. I want to be what you made me to be. God, you put me on this planet for a purpose. Listen, do you know one of the distinctives that there should be of the Christian life? It's that Christians should know what they're living for. There are so many things that should make us different from somebody who doesn't have Jesus Christ. One of the things that should make us different is that we're not insecure about what we're living for. Somebody can come up to me and say, hey, what's the will of God for your life? I could say, I know it. It's to worship him. It's to serve others. It's to grow and become more like Jesus Christ. It's to fellowship with other believers. It's to serve people. Now, I just named the five purposes. That's God's will for my life. They say, yeah, but what job are you supposed to do? I'll say, it doesn't matter what job as long as I do those five things. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where I live as long as I do those five things. God has called you. Say, I want to live with a purpose in life. Live for that. Guys, that's why I've encouraged you to get this book, The Purpose Driven Life. This is good theology. And it will begin to teach you this. By the way, you can pick these up at our booth, at our welcome booth. You can buy those. I'd love it if you had that. Isn't it amazing? Look what it says. 2 Corinthians, therefore, 
since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we don't ever give up. For it's God who said, let there be light in the darkness. He has made his light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We can become like him. We can begin to look like him. So notice it goes on and it says, that's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Listen, Christians can say present troubles, they're small. They're not gonna last very long. Yet, they're producing in me a glory that far outweighs them all. Do you see that? Look what he goes on and he says, watch this. He says, we are hunted down, but we are never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Come on, is anybody with me? He says, through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be also seen in our bodies. Now listen to me. If you don't get anything else, I'm gonna say this morning, I want for you to get this. This is the whole message in a sentence. If God is gonna make you like Jesus Christ, you're going to need spiritual maturity. Is that right? Let me say that again. If God is going to make you like Jesus Christ, are you gonna need spiritual maturity? Now, if God is going to give you spiritual maturity to make you like Jesus Christ, then he's gonna have to take you through the things that Jesus went through. Let me say that again. If you're going to get spiritual maturity to become like Jesus Christ, he's gonna have to take you through the same kinds of things that Jesus went through. Was Jesus tired? Yes. You can expect to be tired. Come on, listen. Was Jesus misunderstood? Yes. You can expect to be misunderstood. There were times when Jesus was lonely. There were times when Jesus was sad. There were times when Jesus was angry. You can also count on those times. There were times when Jesus' patience was tested. There were times when he was put down, he was hurt, he was maligned, his character was assassinated. What are we to do? All I wanna do today, remaining time here, is I'm gonna look at three events in the life of Jesus and you can see how if you're his follower, just like he went through three things, you're gonna go through three things. Are you ready? How, what are you gonna go through that makes you like Jesus? Write this down. Here's the first thing. Number one, you read the gospels and you'll see that Jesus faced trouble or trials, didn't he? Now trials are situations designed by God in order to make us more like him. And therefore, they will draw us closer to him. And here's what I want to say to you. Write this down. God uses the trouble or the trial to teach me to trust him. Let me say that again. God uses the trouble or the trial to teach me to trust him. In fact, Romans 5 says that it's trouble that produces patience. Guys, there was one time in my life after multiple back surgeries, I was praying for patience and I was having all these problems. And instead of the problems getting better, they got worse. Anybody ever been there? And so I said, oh Lord, give me patience. And then instead of the problem getting better, it got more challenging. And then I prayed, oh Lord, give me patience. And then the problem got a little deeper. Lord, I need patience. Then the problem got really bad. And I realized after time had passed, and I'm talking years, I was a whole lot more patient at the end than I was at the beginning. Was God answering my prayer? Yeah, people say, I want to be more patient. I want to be more like Jesus. Be careful. Be careful. 
I dare you to pray that. I dare you to pray, Lord, make me more humble. (laughs) I want to be around when God does that. You get what I'm saying. God says, I take your prayers seriously. Now, get this. If you desire to be more humble, if you desire to be more patient, if you desire to be more godly, do you know how exciting that is? Because do you know what that means? That means that the Holy Spirit is working in you to give you those desires. Because if the Holy Spirit weren't there, you wouldn't want those things. So that means God is putting salt on your tongue. He's wetting your appetite. He's getting you ready. He's making you want to be godly. So you begin to pray for those things. And then God says, okay, let me roll up my sleeves. Let's get ready. Let's do my work. How do you think you learn all those things? It doesn't happen instantly. God says, I'm going to use your life, and I'm going to take you through stuff. Look at this. He says, we can rejoice too, Romans chapter 5, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop what? Endurance. And endurance develops what? Who wants strength of character? Come on. Just a few of you. Wow. (laughs) We all want strength of character. Does our country need men and women who have strength of character? It says, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Listen to me, friend. If nobody's ever told you this before, let me be the first to say it. God wants you to grow up. And it's not your comfort he's after. It's your character. A lot of people come to Jesus because they want him to make their lives more comfortable. Listen, God doesn't care about your comfort. He cares about your character. If God cared about your comfort, then the moment that you received him, he'd zap you and take you to heaven. Did you know that? Heaven is the place where you're going to have comfort. This life is character. This life is preparing you for that life. Do we all understand that? Do we all understand that God uses 80 to 90 years to get us ready for the big show? That this is preparation This is preschool. Do you all understand that you're in boot camp right now? You are being prepared for something greater. You're only going to spend 80 to 90 years here. You're going to spend trillions of years in heaven. God says, then you'll be comfortable. Right now, you're building character. Get used to it. Boy, now listen. Guys, until a person gets this truth, Until you get what I'm saying, the light bulb goes off, you'll be constantly disappointed in life. God, why am I going through this? God, why this pain? God, why am I struggling? You'll always be disappointed. Why me? I don't know if you figured this out yet. Life is hard. Anybody agree? That's what Paul's saying. He says, but we're not surprised it's tough because we know it helps us develop endurance. We're gonna need that. Why? Because this is the learning stage and so we trust God. God is far more interested. Listen, guys, can I tell you something? People, they, they stress out over things like, well, what am I gonna do with my life? What am I gonna do with my career? Who am I gonna marry? I'm gonna tell you, God is far more concerned about who you become than what you do. Listen, let me tell you something. God's given you choices about what to do with your life when it comes to your job. and who. There are probably lots of people that are compatible with you. Or maybe you're one of those hard personalities that you can't marry anybody. You're in trouble. I don't know. I don't know who you are. <laughs> All I know is God has given you lots of choices and you get to make those with wisdom and his guidance. But God is far more concerned about who you're becoming. 
God's far more concerned about when you work that job, how are you going to work it? Are you going to work it with character? Are you going to represent me well? He's far more interested in what's happening in you than what's happening around you. Are you becoming more honest? Are you becoming more patient? Why? Friends, listen to me. You're not taking your career to heaven. What are you taking to heaven? Your character. That's what you're taking to heaven. Who you've become. And God says that's why we're building it. It's so much more important. And when you start to get this, life makes so much sense. Some of you say, well, why is this happening to me? Why not you? What makes you so special? You say, man, I've been going through it. My family's been going through it. We're like Job. Well, I just have, are you somebody special that you shouldn't? Have you ever met a person that doesn't have problems? Why should we be exempt from those problems? So that we'll grow up. Now, Jesus is in this place called the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's being tortured. He's hung on the cross. It's the night before he's betrayed. He's in incredible agony and anguish. He's knowing all the torture he's going to go through because he's taking on the guilt of all mankind, including yours, including my guilt. And he took his followers to a little place. It was actually, he took them to an olive garden, not the restaurant. But he took them to an olive garden. In fact, I'm leaving next week. Pastor Ronnie and I are taking a group, pray for us, a group of about 40 people to Israel. And we do this every year. So start saving your money for Israel. We'll, we'll be promoting it again. We're actually going to go to that garden. Do you know that there are olive trees that live for hundreds and hundreds of years? We're going to this place where Jesus took the disciples. And the Bible says while he was there, he was in anguish. And the question was, would he trust God the Father to do what he'd been sent to do, even though it was painful? And look what it says. It says, they went to this place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. Now, this is very important. Listen to me, guys. Every one of us are going to go through Gethsemanes in our life. Every one of us are going to be faced with this moment. And look what it says. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed, if it's possible that this hour might pass from me, Abba, Father, which means Daddy. Daddy, if you could take me from this suffering, do it. He said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. By the way, do you know what the cup is a reference to? In the Old Testament, every time the cup is used, it's a reference to the wrath of God. Jesus knows the wrath of God is about to be poured upon him. He says, if it's possible, take your cup of wrath from me. But then he says, yet not as I will, but what you will. Now I'm gonna ask you, what do you pray when you face a major problem? I'd say follow Jesus' example. What did he do first? He claimed God's sovereignty. He said, God, I know you can stop this problem. You have all the power in the world. You can stop it. But then he was honest to tell God what he wants. Father, if you could, take this cup from me. Is there another way? Do it. But then what did he do? He yielded his life. He said, but Father, not as I will, but as you will. Now, the three things that Jesus did are the three things that you should do. And I just encourage you, man. That's why we're encouraging you to pick up one of our 
prayer journals and begin to keep a prayer journal and begin to seek in the Lord daily. Because I want you to write down what the Lord's taking you through. How the Lord's getting you through it. If you've not bought one of these, pick one up. And begin to spend time with the Lord daily and write out what you're going through and how the Lord is guiding you like Jesus who is the Christ. It'll change your life. And you remember the reward. He says, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You're, you gotta say, God, I don't know why I'm going through this, but I know it's, you will use it, all things, to make me like you. Now, write down the second thing. Jesus went through this. He went through what we call temptations. Write this down. Jesus faced temptations. Specifically, he faced the temptation to do evil. Now, God will use temptation to teach you to obey him. God will use temptation to teach you and I to do the right thing. And there are a few things you gotta understand about temptation. Number one, in, despite what some people have said, God never tempts anybody to do evil. Do we all understand that? It's not God that tempts you to do evil. In fact, scripture's pretty clear. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So whenever you're tempted, I'm going to tell you that's not coming from God. Where is it coming from? It could be coming from the devil or it could be coming from where? From you. Or it could be coming from another person. But it's not coming from God. Now, God may use it, but he doesn't cause it. How does God use it? Write this down. God will use temptation as an opportunity to teach you to do the right thing. Write that down. <clears throat> God will use temptation as an opportunity to teach you to do the right thing. Listen, every time you face a temptation, you have a choice. Me and my buddy Gordon, but when we were single young men, we were both dating, uh, we were both dating young women that were uh, very good friends, and we both used to struggle in those relationships physically because we didn't want to have sex until we were married because we know that's God's design for our life. So we held one another accountable. We said, man, check in on me that I'm, I'm being a good man and I'm not, I'm not doing things that are wrong. I'm living right for Jesus Christ. And it got kind of cool because we realized every time we were tempted, we, that was actually, we could reverse that on ourselves and on the devil because every time we were tempted, we could say, oh, thank you, devil, for reminding me to pray for my friend. And so every time I was tempted, I started praying for my buddy. Lord, just bless him. Lord, give him strength. Lord, help him to hang in there. Lord, give me strength, help me to. Every time you're faced with a temptation, God's saying, hey, here's a reminder, you need to grow up. Make the right choice. How did Jesus handle temptation? Remember the story? Jesus had just been baptized and the heavens opened and the dove descended and people heard the voice of God. And it's God the Father saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And then the Bible says, right after that, he was led by the Spirit into the desert, and it's there he was tempted by the devil. Notice it says, then Jesus was led by the who? The Spirit into the where? Sometimes God will lead you into the desert. Come on. Sometimes, it's not God tempting you, but sometimes God will sovereignly allow you to be put into a place where you will be tempted. And there Jesus goes into the environment. Now, what does this tell you? 
Number one, it tells you it's not a sin to be tempted. Some people, they feel so guilty when they're tempted. Oh, man, I I feel so bad because I was tempted to look at this woman. Or, man, I feel so bad because I was tempted to do this thing or to cheat on my taxes or whatever it is. And God says, it's not a sin to be tempted. What you do with it can be sin. What did you choose? Temptation can actually be an opportunity. It's when you're put under the weight that you get to build muscle. See, you know what some of our problems are? Is that we're praying for God to remove the weight. Oh God, deliver me from temptation. Oh God, remove this temptation from my life. And God is looking at you going, I'm not gonna remove the temptation. That's how you build muscle. God says, push the weight up. Run the race. Endure. That's how you build character. God says, I'll use it if you just trust me to do it. The great reformer Martin Luther once said it this way. He said, you know, he was talking about temptation, and he said, you know, you can't stop birds from flying over your head. They're going to do that. But you can keep a bird from nesting in your hair. And he says, that's true of temptation. You can't stop it from coming, but you can choose what you're going to do with it. He goes on in 1 Corinthians and he says, you are tempted in the same way that everyone else is tempted, but God can be trusted not to let you be tempted too much and he will show you how to escape from your temptation. Now, sometimes we think, boy, it'd be great if I could finally get to some point in my life where I'm a big enough spiritual giant that I don't get tempted anymore. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Listen, that'll never happen. It'll never happen. Some of you, there, listen, there are some Christian leaders that have fallen to immorality. You've seen them. They've been in the news. They have fallen into immorality because they were under the impression that they would grow spiritually strong enough that they wouldn't be tempted anymore. They were wrong. You say, why do you say that? You're telling me I could never be so spiritual I'm not tempted? That's what I'm telling you. Why? Because Jesus was tempted. You're never going to get beyond Jesus, friend. As mature as you think you're going to become, you're never going to exceed him. And he was tempted. And so you learn from that temptation. You say, God, what do I do with it? So what does Jesus do? He says, get out of here, Satan. He depends upon the word of God. And he says, the scriptures say, worship the Lord your God and obey him only. Now, guys, this is why this year we have been encouraging you, please begin to pick up the habit of Bible reading time. What did Jesus use in temptation to combat the enemy? He quoted the scriptures. He knew the scriptures. Some of you, you've already started this year your Bible reading plans, and I gotta tell you, some of you, I know you've already dropped out. It's like you started reading through this plan, day one, you got it going, and you got to day four, and then you missed, and then you didn't get up in the morning or whatever it is. Let me tell you something, pick it right back up. Forget that. Who cares if you missed a few days? Just pick up and restart. Do you know what I do? I miss days all the time. And you know what I do? I don't go back and even catch up on the days I missed. I just skip those days and pick up on today. Do you know why? Because there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you think that God is going to be upset that you missed three days? Or do you think he's going to be excited that you made six days? You build on your success. You say, okay, God, you don't start saying, oh, I feel so guilty that I didn't make three days. You say, thank you, Lord, that I made four days. Let me pick it back up and let me seek the Lord Jesus. God wants to do something in your life. Now, let me give you this third thing. You guys ready? Write this down. Jesus faced trespasses. 
Jesus faced trespasses. What are trespasses? Trespasses are the things that people do to hurt you. They are situations designed by other people intended to hurt you. If you've ever trespassed on somebody else's property, what did you do? You went on their property and you took advantage of them. Now, what, how does God use trespasses? God will use trespasses against you to teach you how to forgive. Write that down. Trespasses to teach you how to forgive. That's why when you pray one of the versions of the Lord's Prayer, he said, notice this, he said, Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Isn't that interesting? That scripture is saying, Father, forgive me to the degree that I forgive others. Boy, that should scare people who are harboring bitterness in their heart. That should scare us if we're holding on to grudges. Father, forgive me to the degree that I forgive. Let me just say this to you. You're gonna be hurt in life. You've already been hurt in life, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. But bearing the hurt of other people is one of the most painful ways of learning to become like Jesus Christ. Why? Because it involves being criticized. It involves being betrayed. It involves being misunderstood and being maligned and being abused. Maybe somebody has hurt you with their words. Maybe somebody else has hurt you physically or sexually or something like that. Listen, make no mistake, God hates evil and he doesn't want evil to continue. But God says, if you bring even that evil to me, I will cause it to work out for good because I will teach you to learn how to forgive. Did Jesus have to learn how to forgive? Let me ask you, was he persecuted? Yeah, he was persecuted. Was he ridiculed? Yeah, he was ridiculed. Was he beaten? Yeah. Did they hang him on a cross? Did they humiliate him? Intentionally. What did he pray? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're lost. And every time you're hurt by somebody, God says, oh, I've given you a blessing. I've given you the opportunity to act like me and to be like me and to walk in unforgiveness. Father, forgive him. He only responds to evil with good. So here's the big point. God wants to make you like Jesus, but you're never gonna become like Jesus until you learn to forgive. God wants you spiritually mature. To get you there, he's gonna take you through the very same stuff. Listen, some of you've been hurt I know you've been hurt. Some of you, you hurt 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Maybe you're holding on to it. You're still holding on to it. I gotta say to you, let it go. Your grudges, your resentment, you're only hurting yourself. And your greatest testimony as a follower of Jesus Christ is gonna be how do you handle pain? Listen, friends, my vision for North Point Church, for anybody that attends this church, is that they are so different than other people that people say, what is it about them? Do you know one of the ways we should be so different is that when somebody hurts us, we don't gossip about them. We don't hold on to grudges. 
We forgive him. And it should cause your unbelieving friends to say, what is up with you? What they did to you, you should be so mad. And I don't know what to say. You say to him, I'm so forgiven. I'm so forgiven that I can forgive them. Thank God I don't have to carry that around. Boy, you live like that, you'll be leading people to Jesus all the time. Because they're gonna say, I want that. Listen, people aren't interested in all the cool things of life, but when they see that somebody betrayed you and you're able to forgive them of that, listen, they're watching. Are you gonna grow up and be a godly man? Are you gonna grow up and be a godly woman to be like Jesus? Let me take us into prayer. Father, help us as we handle these things in Jesus' name. Help us, God. Lord, we want to be more and more like you. We want to be the people that you have called us to be. You have given us a mission and a message, and that is to reach the world for you. Oh, Lord, we just want to be right in the middle of your will. And Lord, as a church, we want to make a lasting difference. We want to make a mark on this planet, on this community. Help us, Lord, to do that. Lord, we know that we're going to have times like Gethsemane. Lord, help us to endure and to yield our life to you. We know that we're going to go through deserts of temptation, God. Help us, Lord. Help us to be merciful and forgive others when they betray us. And Lord, we claim the promise that as we love you and as we live for your purposes, just pray this with me. Jesus, as I live for your purpose, cause all things, just pray that with me, cause all things to work for good. That is, that I would look like you and be like you. Thank you, Jesus, for your work in my heart. In Jesus' precious name, amen.